welcome to the Crazy Bird Podcast. I'm your host, Violeta Kaminska, and today I'm with a wonderful guest, Molly Kennedy. Hi, Molly. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you. Molly Kennedy is a naturalist at Skidway Island State Park near Savannah, Georgia. She's a Savannah native with a background in web development. However, a long-standing fascination with nature led her to seek out information on her own about species around her that captured her interest. After having had office jobs in the past, when the opportunity came to work in a field she was passionate about, she gladly took it. Molly now conducts programs for the public in which she shares her knowledge of the local flora and fauna on the island. Her area of special interest is native plants of Georgia. She also leads recreational programs for both adults and children. In her spare time, Molly enjoys going to music concerts, and let's make it clear, in years without COVID-19, well, coming up soon, hopefully, visiting historic sites and admiring the variety of architectural styles throughout history. It's a great pleasure to have you here, Molly. Thank you for having me. So, Molly, I met you at Skidway Island, right. and it was a great encounter, and I, I'm really happy I ran into you. And so maybe I want to ask you a few questions first about what were you doing at Skidway when I met you? Because I was just walking, admiring birds, you know, and I was wondering about tides, but we'll get to it later. But what um, were you doing That day, there? Uh, particularly, I was checking on the tide to see how high the water came up on the boardwalk at Skidaway Island because I knew what the tide was supposed to be that day. It was supposed to be 8.1 feet, and I wanted to see how high that was in relation to the boardwalk that people have to walk over because I knew coming up later was an even higher tide that would be 9.9 feet, and I wanted to lead a program to show people what the high tide looked like and how far it came. And I thought that'd be a great idea. And then it occurred to me, well, wait, what if it's all flooded? What if people can't even walk out there to see it? So I wanted to get a good idea of, of how much water I was going to be uh, encountering for the later date with the high tide. And so that's what I was checking. So let me ask you this question. Were you checking it for your own pleasure or are you somehow affiliated with Skidway or you just go there regularly and check high tide? Well, it's interesting and certainly a thing to be curious about, but I work at Skidaway Island State Park as a naturalist. And so um, I share with the public uh, things that they might encounter in the park. And one of those things is the tide. We have a relatively large tide in Georgia on the coast. It's uh, anywhere from six to nine feet on an average day. And then sometimes a really high tide might be 10 feet or extraordinary tide would be like 11 feet. That would be a very large tide. Wow. And so um, we have programs and I wanted to make sure that I didn't bring people out to walk through a foot and a half of water on the trail. <laughs> so since we are talking so much about this tide now, and you're a naturalist, I want to know everything, but I have to take a step at a time. I've been told that very often. So uh, so I, will, I want to ask you about tide because you shared with me a fascinating story. I was with a friend of mine. We were walking there 
and we both listened to your story. I asked you, I was curious. I'm maybe nosy. I don't know. I was just curious what, what it was that you were doing. And you told, told us a fascinating story and that really impacted the next few hours of my life because I've been, you know, dwelling on that thinking. I had really something amazing to think about and it was a great reminder. So can you tell us, okay, you, you know, you check the tide, right? You take measurements, but there is so much more to it. Right. So the can you the share tides us? are actually driven by the moon largely. So the moon's gravitational pull on the earth creates a bulge of water. It's actually pulling the water in the ocean out toward it. And since the moon rotates around the earth, that bulge of water rotates around the earth with it. And every uh, 12 hours, uh, about 12 and a half in our area, we will have a high tide. And it's that bulge of water that the moon is pulling around the earth. And so um, 12 hours, uh, we'll have two high tides a day. And there'll be a high tide. And then a little over six hours later, there'll be a low tide. And then a little over six hours later, there'll be another high tide. And it, it keeps going around like that. Wow, it's fascinating. It sounds like we are all connected. The whole universe yes. is connected, really. And science sounds amazing, I would say. I don't think I ever thought of the moon when thinking of the tide, but now I have a better understanding how life works. So what is what else do you do as a naturalist? I, I think up programs to do for the public. So I think what is special about our area that we would like to convey to the public because different areas have different characteristics and different special features. You go to the mountains, you have different you have mountains there and you go to the coast and you have right. an entirely different habitat and different ecosystems. So we think what is special about the park where we work and we have coastal marsh, salt marsh. And so I think I'd like to, talk about that and feature that and explain that to people because um, some people that come from inland places in the middle of the country, they say that they are fascinated about the tides and that's entirely new and strange to them like, like you might have thought. And so we just explain what is here in this particular area. So I do that and that can involve everything in the ecosystem there. Um, one thing that I think is very interesting is the native plants in an area. So I look at the, the plants that are growing there and I want to uh, tell people what they are because most people don't know what most plants are that they find. Definitely. I always see a lot of greenery yeah. and a lot of plants. And of course I can say, oh, here's a pine tree and there's yeah, a pine tree. Yeah, a lot of people just say, it's it's just some plants. So I, I uh, think of, I'd like to tell people what they're seeing so that they'll know what they're seeing. So it has some meaning because if you don't really know what you're looking at, it doesn't have a whole lot of meaning. So I like name things for people so that it has meaning and then 
Um, there are various animals that live in the area, so we tell people what lives in the area. Sometimes we get questions like, do you have bears there? And so you, I tell people, no, we don't have bears here. And it's, it's just telling people what is there in that particular area, how it works, what makes it tick, what makes it special, um, mm -hmm. what you find there what you don't find there and um, just helping people appreciate the particular area where we are at the time. You know, definitely Skidway Island for me is already a special. I've lived here only for nine months, but um, Skidway turned out to be my place saving my sanity. I would say it was during early times of COVID-19. Yes. That was my sanctuary. And that's what I would, you know, run to. And very often I was there by myself walking. So me and the birds chirping happily. So in times that were not maybe so happy and uncertain, everything seemed fine because nature was going. And I remember seeing those sunsets, which I really admire here in Savannah and in general in Georgia. They are quite spectacular. And the marshes. I have to tell you, I was one of those people, I didn't ask about bears, but when I came to Skidway first time, I asked about mountain lions. Because coming from California, and I'm thinking, I'm coming to the state park. I don't know what I'm going to see. And I thought, it's already 6 p.m. I'm creatures like coming out around that time. So and I was thinking, I, I call Skidway my jungle because it's it, it seems like a jungle. And I just love the greenery. And I remember when I was there in March, it, it's still green, but it was so, so lush and green. I loved it. My eyes were hurting because they were getting break from the computer to such an extent. I was like, whoa, what's happening here? Right? It's too green almost. I was wondering about mountain lions. So I was told no mountain lions. So I was hoping to see raccoons. But what I found interesting is I've heard there are raccoons there. There are definitely raccoons. I've never there. seen even one. So I feel like wildlife in Georgia is slightly uh, more is slightly wider than the wildlife I'm used to in California, Northern California. Maybe it was more urban around San Francisco and state parks, but sometimes the, somehow the creatures were coming out more, which is not always the best thing, but I was hoping to see a raccoon or some sort of creature. Uh, I'm curious about alligators. There is an alligator pond. I've never seen an alligator. Should I kind of wonder uh, about it? A lot it, of people or? do wonder about it. I've, I've wondered about it myself at first. We have what we call alligator ponds. And although I personally haven't seen an alligator there in the time that I have been working there, um, alligators will find spots that have a little bit of water and they'll wallow out a lower spot. And that makes the spot hold more water. It makes a, a larger, more permanent pond. And then after the alligator moves on, that hole that they wallowed out, uh, it'll hold water in dry times. And that's an important uh, source of water for the species that are still there after the alligator has moved on. And they call it a gator hole. So you don't always have to see an alligator in the water for it to be a gator hole. But there are alligators on Skidaway oh, yeah. Island. They are, yes, they definitely are. Um, the rest of the island is more developed. Skidaway Island State Park is more natural and wild in its um, undeveloped state, but the rest of the island has some freshwater ponds that have more uh, sunlight hitting them, and there's just so many other freshwater ponds on the rest of the island. I think they gravitate toward the greater number of freshwater spots 
on the rest of the island. And um, so they're around, even if you don't see them in the park, they're not far away. Oh, I see. I see. Well, I see deer. That's what I see very often. We have lots of deer. We actually had two or three baby deer this year, the uh, fawns with the spots. And uh, they're they're so cute and so small and everybody loves them. And the deer in our park have gotten quite used to seeing humans go by because so many people love the park and they come to visit. And uh, I've seen people, you know, they respect the deer. They, they don't try to feed them, but the deer see them and they stop and they watch the people go by and then they decide, well, I guess you're not going to hurt me. And so they go back to eating. And so the deer have gotten quite comfortable with uh, seeing people at a distance yeah and I also um, noticed what I liked about what I like about Skidway is the signage it's very subtle when I go on my walks when I stroll through the jungle suddenly I come across a sign for example a sign that there might be a bobcat and what a, and a, a nice drawing of a bobcat and what a bobcat is that's another thing I was hoping to see a bobcat but not yet hopefully. And then owls. And I remember it was the first time when I came to Skidway Island, when I saw a sign about barred owls. And I'm, I'm familiar more with great horned owls, which I actually already have seen several times at Skidway. But I read about barred owls and I really loved, um, there was part uh, talking about uh, hooting, that barred owls have a particular hooting. And that's I think right. it's who cooks for yeah, you. That's who cooks for you. Yes. So I thought it was really funny. And I thought, I wonder what it sounds like. So I actually, you know, I checked on my phone. I found the recording and I was really curious, you know, to know what that, what that hooting was. Well, then a couple of months later, a baby owl I discovered in Savannah. So I got to, to meet in person a barred owl. But so I'm really excited about it. But can you tell us are there, what other animals we could possibly see or i also have seen birds and that was the day when i was i was telling you about the bird i saw the beautiful pink what's the name of that bird a pink bird the roseate spoonbill yes yeah that one is that's a little bit scarcer to find so you are very fortunate to see that um we have a multitude of birds we do have owls i've i've seen owls i hear the who cooks for you who oh, cooks really? for you yeah. all i have i have heard that in the park. And we have wood storks, which uh, we talked about the day we met. And they are a big uh, white and black bird. And they have a very narrow range in the US. And it's just along the southeast coast. So it's kind of special to this area. They're very big. I saw country. some small ones and I saw really big ones with red, uh, like red the wood heads. Wood storks are, are mostly black and white. There is a Okay. There is a thing called a turkey vulture that has a red head and it's black with a black body. And then there's another thing called a, um, a white ibis that has a more of a colored head, but it doesn't have the black feathers. So it has a white body oh, and a little bit more color on the head that maybe, maybe that there's 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 so much to see even though you go many times and you look and you see a new thing every time there's still always something more to see the seasons changing changes what you, yeah oh, yes, so, I'm curious um, about that mm -hmm. there are birds that are here in summer 
that are not here in winter and birds that are here in winter that are not here in summer. There are warblers that are here in winter uh, with yellow spots on them and and they're, they're winter things. And then uh, we, have, we have so many birds, uh, different woodpeckers. One thing that people like that they are interested in is the pileated woodpecker. That's the biggest woodpecker. It's, it's uh, like 10 to 12 inches and it makes a very impressive pecking sound. I said it wrong. It was the woodpecker with a red head. Is that possible? Oh, it was really big. A pileated woodpecker. They are impressive. They remind me of pterodactyls. I feel like it's the closest thing I'll ever get to seeing so a pterodactyl true. fly. <laughs> and they're really loud. And when they work, they are serious yeah. at work. And then we have uh, painted buntings in the breeding season, which is the warmer months of the year. And they are they're a colorful bird, red and blue and yellowish green. And that's kind of specific to the southeastern part of Georgia and the southeastern uh, South Carolina. And that little area in Georgia and South Carolina makes up about, I think, 80% of the breeding grounds for the eastern population for the painted bunting. And so that's kind of special to our area. And pe a lot of people come to see that. And I have seen them. I, I don't think I've seen it yet. So I, I need to start looking. It's exciting. It looks like a crayon box flying around. It's so colorful. Oh, that bird. I saw it. I, I, I've done my research on what birds I can possibly see, but I, and I've always wanted to see that bird. Is there a, is there a specific area? Is it more in a marsh area or deep in the jungle? They like to eat seeds a lot. Mm -hmm. So if you see, uh, grassy areas with seed heads on it they might be attracted to that um, they can eat the seeds from the salt marsh um, that you find in the salt marsh that's where i saw some of the ones that i saw and uh, i know they like white millet and they like wax myrtle thickets <laughs> so the the brushy habitat that's in the park um, is something that they they like to hide in and they do like to hide. <laughs> and um, so then we have, we have a multitude of birds and for other things, uh, you could see a fox in the park. We have uh, someone came into the office and said, there was this animal and we don't know what it was. And they were, they were so excited that they had seen this animal and they described it. And after they described it and I thought about it a while, I realized, yeah, that is a fox that they saw. And so just depending on what day you come and what you happen to see, you might see a, a fox, a raccoon. I've seen raccoons. I've seen possums. We have a thing called a glass lizard, which looks kind of like a snake because it doesn't have legs, but it's not a snake. And some people, when they see it, they say, oh, it's a snake but it's not. And so that's a, a thing that many people are not familiar with. Mm. And, um, you know, I saw a lizard, tiny lizard at Skidway last time. And it was the first time ever in my life. It had neon blue tail. You said a, a skink. That's a skink. A lizard. It's a lizard. Yeah. It was small. But it was very strange and unusual, and the tail was just amazing. Like, the back part was neon blue. 
that's a skink. It's a type of lizard and it has the blue tail. Yeah, and it is a brilliant blue. And that, yeah, that's another one of the things we have. And we have uh, green anoles, which are all green. And then they have a flap under their neck, which they will sometimes spread out. And it's this um, orangey red color. And it looks, it looks so strange. It, it looks like it hurts <laughs> when they spread that flap out, but uh, it doesn't hurt. It, they do it all the time. And so we have those green anoles. I saw a rattlesnake. You did. I did. Uh, I, was, I wasn't very excited about that because I thought, uh-oh. It was quite young and there was somebody walking by and uh, he had a stick. So he moved it slightly to, because it was on the path. So he moved it to the side. Yeah, that's, that's good. The, the good thing to do with snakes is just give them their space. Right. Yeah. Uh, that was my first encounter. And I thought, I hope it's my last. The seasons are changing. So actually birds are coming and going. They are leaving here. I'm curious about about the greenery. Are the colors changing too? Because I've noticed a lot of pine cones on the ground. I think more than ever, more than before. And the smell is—it's a wonderful smell. And I lived in Northern California for 18 years. I don't then there's no really fall season there. So coming from Europe, Poland, suddenly I feel like I'm being transported back into my childhood right now because I smell forest like pine trees but i smell fall am i correct is there fall is coming really is it going to be a fall season here i yes there will i do think that that we have four distinct seasons although some people will disagree but fall is definitely coming i saw just yesterday a bird called a american red start and they're only here migrating through they don't live here and so the fact that I saw a migratory bird passing through says fall is coming. Fall is coming. And yeah, the, the weather is just a little bit cooler. So soon we'll see the leaves changing. We have, we have things like sweet gum trees, which will turn a brilliant golden yellow color. Um, yeah. Uh, there's also black gum trees, which turn a, a reddish color. I think they're really pretty. And then the hickory nut trees turn a golden color. And then there are the evergreen trees like the pines and the oaks that stay green all year long. But we definitely have trees that do turn a beautiful color. Also maples, we have those too. You lead, organize recreational programs for both adults and children. So what, what does it, what, what do you do there? Um, I, one thing I do is uh, archery program. So that's not, not so much nature focused. It's just purely for fun. One thing that people, the one thing that's important to people, honestly, is to be able to relax. And that's one reason people come to the parks. And so in addition to appreciating nature, which I, I do love, I think there's a very important need to allow people to relax and to have fun and so one of our programs is archery and children 10 or over and adults of any age can do that and it's just for fun it's beginning archery it's um just just to try out a new a new skill a new hobby and then um, I want to start a geocaching program because the park does have that and I think that's it's like 
hunting for buried treasure, only it's not buried, so you don't have to do the work of digging it up. So it's it's like a, a high-tech treasure hunt, and I want to uh, have a program so people can enjoy that mm -hmm. and have fun in that. And then we have craft programs sometimes uh, that's sometimes geared toward children, but adults are welcome to do that. I think it's important to have programs that are for adults that that are simple and they can allow people to relax. Um, some some so many things are geared toward children and they kind of exclude adults from taking part when there's really no reason that the adults couldn't take part because there's some things that you can enjoy at any age. So crafts where you like make a paper bird. I think any any age can enjoy that. So we have crafts and then we have campfires and people make s'mores and everybody loves that. Every every age loves <laughs> making s'mores. <laughs> Is, is there a story time with campfires? Does it come? I remember being in your set. Was it your set? Yes, it was in, no, the Grand, Grand Canyon. Canyon. I hiked with my friends down to the Colorado River and we were camping there. And then it was the evening with stories. It was a bonfire and stories. And I remember it was the park ranger came to tell us stories related to the Grand Canyon and nature there. So do you have any story time? Uh, well, so far, we have enjoyed sharing each other's stories, like just learning, getting to meet people and hear their own stories. It doesn't have to be like a, a spooky story for, specifically for a campfire. It can just be ordinary stories from ordinary people. And that's that's nice to just have that human interaction, because I feel like in modern society, a lot of people are starved for that. Mm -hmm. And just that simple human interaction is an important thing for people. Definitely. I'm so happy that I've discovered, I, I'm not like a Columbus, I haven't discovered really, and I just found it there, but I'm so happy to have Skidway Island. This is my place, my very special place. I call it Sanctuary. I actually created a video installation that I called Ambulatorium. It's a place where you go to get some medical help or get help. But to me, that's that place where I go to re regenerate and reset. And like you said, relax. Something amazing, something that really moved me when I was first time at Skidway were the birds singing. There's this wonderful environment, environment, very magical, natural. But I remember it was the first time when I really listened. I think I'm a person who watches, looks and listens to what's around me. But Skidway, it was just a different level of listening because there were birds all around me, I could hear them, and it was very evident and clear they were communicating. So that was that was probably the strongest and the loudest kind of communication ever I had, and the most versatile. Well, there's a definitely a diverse culture living at Skidway, and I remember I was fascinated. There would be birds singing on my right, and then there was a short pause, and they would be responding on the left, slightly different sounds. Then there was a pause, and the birds responding behind me. But you could tell it was all deliberate there was no coincidence because that, there was a pattern to that so i've been really um ever since i've been always listening when i go to skidway it's like auditory and sensory experience it's pretty wonderful yes i've heard them communicating on left and right of me right. too so that, just, that's exciting yes i wonder if they are warning each other that hey she's coming <laughs> they do uh, different birds will have a different uh, sound a different chirp for 
alerting that there's there's some intruder there's some large uh, large bird intruder (laughs) well thank you so much molly it's been a great pleasure to host you here and also thank you for educating me i've learned a little bit now i'll be on the lookout for those plants that i cannot name and if i see you i'll ask you for the name or i'll do a little bit of homework and i'll start looking on my own but thank you so much you're welcome i'm glad to be here thank you Thank you for listening to the Crazy Bird Podcast. The Crazy Bird Podcast is hosted by Violeta Kaminska. Our guest for this episode was Molly Kennedy, a naturalist at Skidway Island State Park, located near historic Savannah, Georgia. Our theme music is inspired by Tambourine by French composer François-Joseph Gossec. The improvisation is performed by Agnieszka Kowalik. The nature recordings were recorded by Violeta Kaminska. This episode was edited and produced by Violeta Kaminska.